Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada's Truth in Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, welcome today. Great to be here, Ben. Yeah, it is great to be here. And, you know, we have an exciting uh, interview to do a little bit yeah, later, and it's with a, a Nancy Guthrie who's from Nashville right now in the U.S., but she's a Bible teacher and an author and an international speaker, uh, and she conducts uh, respite retreats for parents who have lost children, and that really comes out of her own story, which she's going to be talking about, an amazing story uh, in, in a few minutes. Uh, she also uh, has a podcast called Help Me Teach the Bible, of which you'll be a guest on later down through the year, and uh, so we just want to look forward to that. Uh, Nancy's all of her research resources can be found at nancyguthrie.com. But for now, uh, let's look into the Word. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, Nancy's got a story to tell, and um, that story has going to do with suffering. And I want to talk about suffering uh, from a biblical perspective. Uh, I, I want to say a couple of things about suffering that we need to take to heart. If you're not suffering now, um, you may not be the person to think a lot about suffering. I have a quote here from C.S. Lewis, and uh, if you know his story, you'll know that his wife had contracted cancer, and it was a cancer that would eventually take her life. As he was going through that dark tunnel, he writes, if I had really cared as I thought I did about the sorrows of the world, I would not have been so overwhelmed when my own sorrow came. Uh, indeed, I think many of us have closed our eyes uh, to the sorrows of others. I remember some years ago getting a, um, a letter from a woman. That was after 9-11 happened. She said, I've come to doubt my faith because of what happened at 9-11. And uh, I responded to her, were you not paying attention to everything else that's been happening around you? I mean, consider, for instance, uh, every single day, uh, children will, uh, 20,000 African children will die from mostly preventable diseases. Or how about a little stat that comes from history? 100 years ago, in the year 1918, that year alone, 6% of the Earth's population died from a flu pandemic, and that was more than they were killed in both world wars. The reality is that suffering is a part of our lives. And the question that is often asked is, how can a God of love allow that? And I would want to draw that answer into two different categories, and I'm only going to deal with one today. We might ask what suffering means for an individual who's not a believer. And we can ask the question, what does suffering mean for a person who's a believer? So I'm going to ask and answer the question of what it means for a person who's a believer. I'm going to say suffering means at least six things for a believer, and these all come from Scripture. The first thing that it means is that suffering provides us an opportunity to do some serious discernment. Listen to Romans 5, 3 to 5. Paul writes, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So the first thing that we notice is that God uses suffering deliberately to produce in believers a kind of a faith and a steadfastness that will hang in there. Suffering is his tool that attaches us to the virtues that he has for us. Secondly, suffering is also all about discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 to 7 says, And you have not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproves you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises 
every son whom he receives. Now, discipline is not punishment. It is discipleship in our lives. It sets the direction, and God will often use suffering to remove from us our attachment from the world and give us an attachment to him. Thirdly, suffering produces humility, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, writes Paul, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, Paul writes that against a background. God has given him revelations that no previous prophet of God has received. And Paul says, in order to humble me because of what God had for me, I was also going to allow these difficulties that you go through to produce in you a humbleness and a reliance on me that you wouldn't be able to get any other way. Here's something else. There is an opportunity in our suffering. You might not think of it that way, but listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He says, he who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The person who has suffered knows how to come beside the person who has who, or, or who is now suffering. I mean, there is something about simply standing beside someone who's going through a very dark valley and being there and saying, I'm going to continue to be your friend and I'm going to continue to stand with you. In a way, only the person who has suffered can actually provide that. Number five, there's this thing called Christ-likeness. And this is a strange thing, but we know that our Lord and Savior suffered. And what suffering does is it allows us to be united with him in his sufferings. We begin to identify with suffering. Uh, listen, for instance, to Philippians 3 verse 10, where Paul says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him, he says, in his death. We would never have known what it is for Christ to die until we begin to suffer as well. And in this way, we are united and brought closer to our Lord who suffered. And finally, I would guess that suffering is also an indication for believers that God loves us. The God who loves us would never allow us to go through any moment that he allows us to go through were it not from his gracious hand. God is shaping us. He's training us. He's preparing us for eternity. He's doing all of these things because he loves us. The things that happen in this world are never happenstance. They didn't just happen. It wasn't just a bad sense of circumstances. It wasn't luck. It was the providential hand of God. And if the God who loves you takes you through a dark valley, believe that he does so only for one reason. He does it because he loves greatly. We're gonna meet a woman who suffered in a way that I would have prayed I would never have had to suffer, but she did and will display a wonderful sense of love. This indeed comes from the hand of our Heavenly Father. Well, welcome back to Truth and Life today with Dr. John Newfeld. And in just a moment, Dr. John is going to interview Nancy Guthrie. And she has a story that you need to hear. And a story, I think, that will shape your understanding of what it means to suffer and what it means to be faithful. Let's join Dr. John and Nancy Guthrie now. Well, it's a joy to have Nancy Guthrie in, in, uh, in studio. And Nancy, welcome here. I want to Thank say you. welcome to Canada as well. Thank you. So Delighted happy to be to here. So you. beautiful. 
Uh, Nancy, we're going to talk about death and we're going to talk about loss. And uh, this is a difficult subject, I think, for everyone. It is for me. Nancy, I have stood at the, the, the graveside of both of my parents, at my father-in-law, uh, with dear friends. We had a tech here at, uh, at our ministry that passed away about a year ago in a traffic mm. accident on the way to work. Mm. Uh, we've had, you know, everyone who walks through life has death, but there is a fear that I have, and I need to confess mm -hmm. that to you, that I should ever stand at the graveside of one of my children. Mm. But you have done that. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your story, not once, but twice. Yeah. Uh, my husband and I have a son, Matt, who's now 27. When he was eight, I gave birth to a daughter named Hope. And Hope was born with a rare metabolic disorder called Zellweger syndrome, something you probably never heard of before. Very uh, rare not thing. Not until I read yeah. your bio. Yeah. What it meant was that she was missing this tiny subcellular particle she needed for life. And so we were told on her second day that her life would be very difficult and very short, most likely that she would live less than six months. So that was the reality of her life. Um, now, how soon after she was born did you realize that? Her second day, second a geneticist day. from Vanderbilt Medical Center um, uh, looked at her and fortunately had seen some a child with that syndrome before and knew, yeah. So she couldn't see or hear. Uh, she was severely brain damaged. Uh, but I gotta tell you, John, those those 199 days we had with Hope, while they were full of sorrow and questions yeah. about that, um, they were also very rich. I mean, there, there's something about life when you know it's short. You know, we just, we didn't waste any time on anything. We focused on who do we want to make sure has met Hope? Well, then let's invite him over tonight, you know? So we had very rich relationships with people around us and she changed our lives. I mean, uh, she made us think much more deeply about what life is all about, about facing death, um, about what to expect from God in this Christian life. So many things, so many ways she enriched our lives, but then she was gone and uh, that was devastating. Was she deteriorating near the she end? Was. So you, she was. So you knew that you were approaching death's door. You know, we didn't. Not not really. I mean, we didn't know because there's so little known about this yeah. disorder. It was hard to know how bad is this going to get. Right. You know. Was so she in the, pain? <laughs> that's a good question. I, if you had asked me that during her life, I would have said I think so. Uh -huh. I mean, the doctors kept assuring me that she wasn't, and I. I think I understood that a little bit later with some perspective. I, I think they were talking about her mental capacity in regard to pain. Uh, but you know, when it's your child <laughs> and they're crying and seem uncomfortable, um, it's pretty hard to take the word for that, that they're not suffering. Nancy, I heard you saying that you were wondering whether she would die in your arms yeah. or whether you would go into the crib and yeah. find her gone. Yeah. And tell a little bit about how you processed either one of those two options. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, uh, the fear is there. And so you just, yeah, you do have to say um, those are the realities. And fear can be very real. But I think there's, it's a diff there's a difference between feeling some fear and choosing to live in fear. Uh, and somehow the Lord gave me the grace, I think, during those days to believe that the grace he was providing for us every day as we walked with her 
that he would give us the grace we needed for that day too. And I would say he did. Uh, not that, that that night, it was in the middle of the night, and my husband got up to check on her in the middle of the night. And she was gone. And he came to me and said uh, she was cool to the touch. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so we let her go. Um, but it, it really is true. I mean, God, God doesn't promise these things are not going to happen to us. Sometimes in Christian circles, we get the idea that the promises of God are such that somehow we as believers can be immune from these kinds of losses. And that's not the promise of the scriptures. The promise of the scriptures is that he will be with us in it. Yeah. The promise of the scripture is that our suffering is not meaningless. It's not random but that when we belong to Christ or join to him by faith, there is actually meaning in our suffering, that he is causing all these things to work together for our good, specifically that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So we have that hope to hold on to. But then the other thing that we have to, to hold on to is that this life is not all there is. Those 199 days, did you remind yourself of these truths that you've just talked about during that time, absolutely, you did, yeah, and you talked about that regularly between the two of you. Absolutely, and and talked about. It. We we would have friends who say we want to bring you a meal. We'd say, well, bring a meal and then stay with us to eat it. And so that's what I mean in terms of rich times together, because these are the kinds of things we talked about. What is a miracle, and should we ask God for one? Uh-huh. And uh, did what you? is the purpose of prayer? We didn't, um, or or at least in the way you might think. Um, you know, we. We believed that God had determined that her life would be short. I remember so well, just a couple of weeks into it, John, I was rocking her in what we had intended to be her nursery. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I, I, I accept, Lord, that her life is going to be short, but I'm going to ask you to make it as long as possible. I thought, that's not asking too much, to make it as long as possible. So I like gear myself up to pray this prayer. And I realized, wait a minute. What if a longer life for her is not what's best for her or for me? And even before I could pray the prayer, I realized, am I willing to trust God with the number of days that he gives her and that the number of days he gives to her will be right for her and right for me and bring him glory? And so I didn't pray that prayer. I just, I prayed, Lord, give me the grace to trust you with the number of days that you give her. This resting in the wisdom of God in the midst of suffering, which is what you're talking about. You know, sometimes a person comes to that after they have suffered and thinks to themselves, I'm so glad I have these truths, but you're telling me that you can walk in the middle of the suffering and can be reminded of them there. Well, I tell you what, this is why I'm grateful for a ministry like Back to the Bible. Um, you know, I was in a very high accountability, intense Bible study for about seven years leading up to this. And so many times I would think to myself, John, what's the Lord preparing me for? Yeah. I didn't know. Kind of glad I didn't know. But I look back on that and I think of myself, I think of the story of the wise man and the foolish man. One builds his house on the rock and one on the sand. And it's fascinating because the storm comes to both. Yeah. But the difference is, as it says in Matthew 7, for the wise man, it says, he, the word of the Lord came to him and he worked those words into his life. And I feel like as I was in God's word before this, working God's word into his life, it gave me a foundation so that when the storm hit, 
It wasn't that I was unaffected by it, but I wasn't destroyed by it. We're gonna come right back. And Nancy, I know that there's a part two of this story because I know you went through it a second time. And we'll be right back to talk about that. Nancy, after the death of Hope, I know that you and your husband had made a decision that you'd talk about whether or not you should take measures never to have children again. Mm -hmm. So, and I know that you did. Yeah. And then I know that there was a surprise. A big surprise. A big surprise, and you were found to be with child again. Yeah. And however, unlike Hope, you found out the, the illness that she had afterwards. Mm -hmm. You knew immediately yeah, we throughout went through, your pregnancy. Yeah, we went through prenatal testing and then knew when I was about 15 weeks pregnant that I was going to give birth to a son this time and that he would also have the fatal syndrome. In the culture in which we live in today, many secular people would say, you know, let's just have an abortion during that time. Mm -hmm. I know you didn't. Um, I don't know whether you received counseling from people to say, do that. I don't know whether or not you struggled with that. Talk about that. We didn't struggle with that. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting, the geneticist who had diagnosed Hope is the one who processed the prenatal testing. When he called us, we had said to him, you know, we'll continue this pregnancy either way, uh, but we'd like to know which way we're headed. Yeah. And so when he called us to give us the results to tell us that this son was going to have the fatal syndrome, he said, well, you may want to come down and talk to us now. Oh, I see. And I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, some of your thoughts about this might have changed. And I said, are you saying we may have decided that we're not going to continue the pregnancy? He goes, yeah. And we said, oh, no. You know, I think, I think he in particular understood that because he knew we had valued Hope's life. We didn't wish her life away. So I, I, I think he grasped that. I think there were others around us. I was actually kind of surprised at a couple of Christian friends who said, you know, nobody would judge you for that. Um, but oh my goodness, all life made in the image of God is so valuable. The value of a life is not dependent upon what a person can contribute or how long it is or what they accomplished. And so our son, Gabriel, was born and he was such a joy to us and to so many people around us. I wouldn't have missed that for the world. And I guess I think sometimes that the world says to someone in that situation, they say, okay, you don't want to go through that hardship. And so you want to end that pregnancy now to make it somehow easier for yourself. I can't imagine what it would be like for me now, John, to think that I ended my child's life yes. instead of giving my child life. And so certainly there were difficulties involved in it. But I tell you what, I don't have any lingering regrets. So I think this needs to be said because life itself is a gift of God. It's of great value in God's sight. And that it is the task of all of us, whether we encounter life with difficulty or with relative ease, that we celebrate this as a gift from God. Yeah. Even though with Gabriel, you already knew what that path of sorrow would be like because yeah. you'd walked it before. Yeah. Did it feel different the second time through? It was the same, but different. <laughs> uh, many aspects of it were the same. His condition was very much the same as Hope's and his decline, the onset of seizures at about three months, those kinds of things. It was different to go through a pregnancy knowing that I was going to have a child who would die. It was awkward. A lot of times I would run into someone who knew we had had a child die and they would see I was pregnant and they would say, oh, you know, this is so wonderful. Uh, 
And they would make the assumption, sometimes even a theological assumption. So God has now blessed you with this other gift because you were so faithful in the midst of losing this other one. So like Job, God gave you children to replace the ones who lost. (laughs) They would think that way, but I would have to decide in those moments, um, am I going to drop this bomb on them that this child is going to die too? And so those were at times awkward conversations, um, but also meaningful conversations. I mean, honestly, I found, we found it, and in the years since then, have found it to be such a privilege for the way that facing this kind of loss opens up the opportunity to share our hope in Christ. You know, John, I, it's, it seems to me sometimes that believers, their mindset about facing death can be almost the same as the world around them, yeah. in that Uh, We do everything we can to avoid death and that real life, the life that matters is this life in the here and now. And, you know, if you embrace Christ, you know that a day is coming that is going to be so much better. Uh, What did Paul say? To be with Christ is better better by far. And so when that day comes and Christ returns and he calls Hope and Gabe and me and my husband and my son Matt out of our graves to live forever in a renewed earth, in glorified bodies. That's not, to, to, to put our hopes in that is not just like being escapist somehow. It's actually anchoring our lives on what is true and what is going to be true forever rather than anchoring our lives on what matters in the here and now for just a short time. When Paul in 2 Corinthians writes about these momentary light afflictions which are earning for us an eternal weight of glory, um, we have a teaching that the sufferings that come to us in this life are for the purpose of maximizing our joy in eternity. Mm. So when you think about that, can you put flesh that out a bit for us? Because as a woman who suffered the death of not one but two of her children, Um, can you, is it a matter of simply grasping it and saying, I choose to believe this is God's plan for me? Or is there a way in which you look at this even now already and see a foretaste of what God had intended in this? Well, there is a reality that when you are joined to Christ, the new creation has already begun. It's what he says when he says, if you all who are in Christ, the new creation has come. And so I do think there is a supernatural aspect to the joys of the new creation beginning to work their way into our lives now. But I love that passage you mentioned where you where Paul describes our sufferings of this life as light and momentary. (laughs) You know, when you read that, you kind of think, Is he like superhuman or something? Because it doesn't even sound real when you think about the weight of people's suffering and the length of people's suffering in this life, that he could call it light and momentary. I'm convinced that the reason Paul could say that is we learned in 2 Corinthians that 14 years before he entered into paradise. So he actually got to experience what you and I are talking about. We're anticipating. And he's not saying it's light. He's saying in comparison to that. In comparison. And see, he's seen what's being compared to it. And so it is, he has perspective to be, we see the weight of our sorrows. He saw the weight of glory. 
And so he's able to say they are light compared to the weight of glory and they're momentary compared to the expanse of eternity. And I don't think us having that perspective happens in an instant, John. I think it happens as we saturate our hearts and minds in the word of God so that his perspective about this life and the life to come becomes our perspective. Nancy, thank you so much for being a part of Truth and Life today. Thank you for sharing the joy that you have in Christ and the joy that we can have walking through any sorrow we, we encounter. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment, so uh, stay with us as we continue on with Truth and Life today. Hi, and welcome back to Truth and Life today with Dr. John Neufeld. Uh, John, uh, that was an incredible interview and yeah. a, a wonderful opportunity to yeah. just hear the heart, but also just the, the understanding of Scripture uh, that Nancy has and how she's applied that to her tragedy and life. Uh, what are some of the things you came away with? Ben, one of the things I came away with is exactly what you said. Here's a woman who's rooted in God and in His Word. Yeah. And when we're rooted in God, we can walk through anything. Uh, and we can find God in it and find even joy in that and find meaning and hope and purpose. Tragedy comes to us all, Ben. I think we know that. Um, but, you know, we have an anchor for the soul. And so that's, that's a takeaway for me. I think I have another one as well. And that is just simply the preciousness of life. That yeah. Life is a gift and that we don't measure the worth of life by what it accomplishes. And we don't measure the worth of life by the length of it. Yeah but that life itself comes from God. Yeah. And therefore, what God has created, uh, we want to honor. And that's what she testified. Yeah, and you know, just, just the thought of when she was talking about Gabriel and the fact that she knew early on in the pregnancy that he would uh, come to the same end as his sister would, and yet she felt life was so precious, uh, she couldn't conclude that life. That was up to God to conclude. Yep, she was uh, righteous and walking through that. God bless her, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much, Sean, for a great program today. And uh, thanks for Nancy as well for joining us. And remember to join us again next week right here on Truth and Life Today. <laughs>